0: David, hello. Good buddy, how are you? Good, See thanks, mate. For the listeners uh, tuning in today, this is David. Yep. Um, and I've actually met David through Chris Seidel, who used to teach teach me at um, former school I went to, Villanova College. He had me on a podcast. What was it? Jeez, three, or four months ago. Yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. think well, things have changed a lot <laughs> since then. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. they have. Did you ever beard? Did you ever beard then? I did have a beard back
1: then. I'm trying to regrow it. My wife hates me having one, and I shaved it a couple. Oh, maybe a week ago.
0: Um, no, I'm was... Yeah, i have going back to the <laughs> <laughs> no, Yeah, right. so the topic we'll be going over today is uh, family cult. Yes, and and for David, uh, growing up, uh, it was a little bit difficult because of some of the things and belief systems that his family did um, uphold with themselves, um, uh, and led on to, to David uh, disassociating himself with the family. And um, unfortunately, yet they have nothing to do with him anymore. So. But in a broader scheme of things for people um, tuning in who maybe um, may struggle to uh, associate themselves with this particular topic is um, in society, if, if we don't follow certain rules or, or how we're supposed to do things, we get, we get ostracized and, and left behind. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, that's the way things work. And I think it's a really important topic to talk about and that don't be afraid to, to just be who you are and, and not have to follow the way things should be. Um, yeah, so it's the topic we'll be going over today, and I'll just uh, say, uh, discretion warning, what you may say here today from David might be quite confronting, but I want David to be as open as honest as he can be, uh, because it's his story, um, and it's been told from his perspective. Anyways, guys, I'm going to head over to David, and I'll ask questions along the way. That's a good intro.
1: Um Yeah, so I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness, and so a lot of people would know them as the people that knock on your door, and they're the friendly people with their suit and tie and whatever else, Um, and so most people would think of them as a religion, but if you actually look into it and you look at what the definition of a cult is, they fit almost every single Mm. criterion of what a cult is, and so we got into that when I would have been about five or six, I think, from memory, when my parents split. Yep. So, some of my mum's family were in it, some weren't, and my mum and dad were never in it, and they hated it, uh, until the time they split, and then when she was vulnerable in a state of sort of despair, uh, they got her, and they promised her or sold her this story of, like, um, oh, it's ridiculous to get into their beliefs, but they sold her this really great, wonderful sort of happy life story that yeah. you enjoy as a Jehovah's and that you enjoy After death as a Jehovah's Witness, so like their next life thing, and she was in it. And so from then on, we were raised as Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, I should probably say, like, I mean, I'm gonna sit here and tell you some bad stories about being a Jehovah's Witness and my personal experience, and um, but I guess there are some aspects of it that were really good, yeah. Like, I mean, you had a like, a group of friends that you always hung out with. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have to do anything to be friends with. Um, they were always there. So you went to your
0: church, and that was your group of friends. So I guess it's probably not a bad thing in that, like, you know, you felt like you could rely on them in, in the, the uh, darkest of times.
1: Well, maybe. Because the whole nature of that, relig- that religion, I'll call it a religion, whatever you want to call it, but the whole nature of it is to be as holy as you can, and that involves dobbing on everyone else oh, if you see them, about. no mate so like i had my mum dob on me for things that i was doing as a child growing huh. up like tw- yeah mate so i would have they have uh so the equivalent of their priests are called elders yep and they would have elders come to your door back to we were we were raised in it and uh, my dad and mum when they separated he wasn't in it and mum was so i had this sort of like my brother and my mum and i were and i had this sort of half-life where you would go with dad on every second weekend and it'd be parties, birthdays, fun, and then you'd go back to mum's house and it would be Bible study, Bible study, church, church, Bible study.
0: And, and what, do you, what do you think Like people are part of this community? Why, why are they so like, focused and oriented on Bible studying and, and you know, the bigger and better questions of life as opposed to just the smaller basic things and, and what your dad could provide for you? Uh, they're t- directed
1: to yeah. by the group that runs it. So they are forcibly, uh, they are forced to do it. And so if you understand the nature of how it works. So growing up, it's changed a little bit now. It's a little bit less intense. Um, and I don't mean less intense. It's not. It's just different. So when I grew up, for example, my week would be, I would come home from school on a Monday and I would have Bible study. Just we would study the Bible ourselves and the publications that that religion put out, their magazines. Well wow. Tuesday night from 7.30 till 9.30, we would go to church. Wednesday night we would do Bible study for the Thursday night because then Thursday night we would go and do another Bible st- uh, another church session but it'd be an informal sort of one at someone's house that we all did. Then Friday night you would come home and prep, do your preparation for witnessing the next day. So then Saturday morning you would go door knocking, witnessing. Saturday afternoon you had a bit of time to yourself but then you had to prep for Sunday which was the other meeting, so you prepare the watchtower for Sunday. there's no
0: break, no no break at all. Mate,
1: and that's the nature of some of those organisations. They never give you time to think for yourself. Mm. If you have time to actually stop and think and stop the programming, then um, I always think of it as, I always use the term when I explain to people as, you need a circuit breaker. You need something to shock you into... um, stopping what you're doing and looking at it. And when you're in it, you don't have time to do it. I read a book once by a guy, uh, Steve Hassan, and he's quite an expert in the field of cults. And he wrote a book called Combating Cult Mind Control. And he talked about his experience in the Moonies. And his family actually worked so hard to try and break him out that they kidnapped him and held him against his will for a few days. I think it might have even been like a week or something. And he ended up, I think, even jumping out of a hospital uh, window to try and get away from him so strong with the programming. And eventually he finally had this moment where he realised and it all sort of came
0: tumbling down. Um, and, what, and what, why do you think people go to such an extent to, to, to stick with this uh, mentality that, that this community, you know, tells them what they should and shouldn't be doing? Is it is it because they're afraid to be vulnerable? and they afraid that if they don't follow these... Particular teachings that that they won't end up in the That's happy place, hard, yeah. in the happy place where they're they're yeah. told to believe that they will end up going to. Yeah,
1: so like I mean, I guess it depends on the perspective of the person you're talking about. So the rank and file Jehovah's Witness, they want to end up in what they call the new system, which is like heaven for Catholics, but it's a different version. But it's the same sort of concept. Yeah, they want to end up there, and so they have to do everything they can that the organisation says they need to do because the organisation is directed from God, allegedly. And they have to do everything that that organisation says. So they just do it, because they believe that Jehovah God is judging them, and he's using this organisation to direct them, and to go against the organisation is to go against Jehovah God himself.
0: And so they follow blindly. And then and when growing up, I mean, simple <laughs> things is like just bringing... Bring in like you know a maid over to your house doesn't happen doesn't happen no so no birthdays as a Jehovah's Witness no Christmas as a Jehovah's Witness
1: um, so when you're growing up as a kid you uh, other kids from school invite you to birthday parties so you don't get no fairy bread or anything like that it's and you're not even there um, the worst part and this happened to me a couple of times uh, is when you actually go witnessing and you knock on the door of a party that you're supposed to be at. And you're like 10 or 11 yeah. dressed in suit and tie. i feeling embarrassed. Oh, mate, it is the worst feeling. Like, I mean, there's obviously worse things in life. But it's really a difficult spot to be in because you don't even understand it as an 11-year-old or a 12-year-old or no. a 13-year-old. Like, most 30-, 40-, 50-year-olds that I talk to that were in it, if you question them on their beliefs, they don't even understand it. No. They just follow what they're told to follow and... So as a 15-year-old or 13-year-old, you don't understand it. And you're at the you're door, all your it. mates are saying, come in, let's go, we're swimming, I've got whatever going on. And you think, this sucks. But you want to make it to the new system. you want Jehovah to be good and happy with you. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you are in it. Um, and so we were in it for a long, long time. Uh, and so, you, yeah, so like, I mean, no birthdays, no Christmas you but like i mean because my dad wasn't one i would often have christmases and birthdays with him mm. so i had that sort of appreciation of both yep. sides so i was in but I, I i was in but i also had my dad influencing me and he was a lawyer he, is a, he was a lawyer um he's retired now and so he often had a very analytical way of thinking and would often keep probing us to think for ourselves yeah. um and so we grew up in it and then yeah like i mean yeah no friends are allowed over uh you're not allowed to do any of that sort of social activity like i mean schoolies was a nightmare because i had to sneak off to my dad's house for a week just to go and had my mum trying to find me where i was like to bring me home like it was intense mate and we did nothing wrong but like yeah.
0: it's uh it was really intense and, and, you, and like and growing up like Surely, like, it had, like, a pretty negative effect on your ma- mindset and yeah. yeah mental state of mind. How did, how did you overcome that? Because, obviously, you couldn't really vent and talk to your, your family. I mean, your, no. your mother's side of the family. I guess maybe you used your dad for that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, you can talk to dad. Dad was so busy. He was a partner in a law firm. So, like, he was working
1: around the clock. And
0: yeah. you don't really have anyone to vent to. When did you actually end up going, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I know it's going to be a difficult thing to do, you know, leaving my family behind. But what made you get to that point of realisation? Dude, you don't have that level of realisation. It's very rare
1: to have that sort of yeah. conscious thought. I know a mate who's just left and he never had that either. Like, And so you don't have it. So what got us was, uh, you, and as I said, I'm absolutely certain of this. You need a circuit breaker. You need something to shock you. Enough to stop for a second and look at it Mm. and look at it without indoctrination. So, um, what happened for us was I was sort of in it, I was in it, but like I would miss meetings every now and like, if you don't go, this is the other thing if you're not there, people are ringing you, where are you?
0: Elders are ringing you, where were you? you Why were you?
1: Man, all the time. So, So, if you,
0: if, if for some particular reason you're at work and They've asked you to stay back a couple hours, or you're just running late. Mm -hmm. They'll call you to check up on you. Mate, if you,
1: they won't call you that night. They'll like maybe text you the next day or call you and go, Hey, mate, I missed you at the meeting last night. And they say it comes from a place of love. And and I mean, on some level it does, but it's a really good mechanism that's
0: fed top down and enforced top down to keep you on that merry go round. Because the way, the way they're going about it is like in a way of love. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's like very demanding. Very. And I don't
1: think the people who are calling you, like the elders who are calling you, oftentimes a lot of them, I'd say 70, 80% of them, are doing it for a reason of they care about you. And they want you to make the new system because they love you as a person. But if you actually take a step back and look at it. It's actually a really effective cult tactic to keep everyone in. Together. Yeah, so you keep on top Is of it them. Time? You keep, yeah. So, and I don't think they think of it like that, but they think they're doing the right thing. But oh, um,
0: probably because they've been doing it for so long that they don't, don't know anything, anything, anything wrong yeah. of it.
1: So we were in it, and uh, what got me out? Uh, we, I was sort of fading a little bit. I was in it, but I would go to rugby on a Tuesday night instead of going to church. And yeah. just because I love rugby, and... Um, and then one night, my, we were getting married. And so my fiance at the time rang me and said, come to my one. She lived in another suburb in Brisbane and I lived in yeah. one. And we have churches in our local areas. She said, come to mine. I've got a meeting with two elders. And I went and this is like, mind you, so I probably should have said this is a week out from our wedding. So this is the Tuesday night before our wedding on a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, it's a bit odd that they're having this discussion with us. We were using their kingdom hall, that's what they call their church, for our ceremony. Mm. And I come into this meeting and they were shocked that I was there. And they said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, Ash has asked me to be here. And they said, well, we were really hoping to talk to Ashley. They then start this conversation and they present to us all—they an hour and a half meeting. And they start the meeting by saying to us, look, no decisions have been made we've just been made aware of some information. So someone's stopped on us. And they said, we've been made aware of some information and it's uh, being brought to the attention of the body of elders and we want to just gauge your heart condition. And no decisions have been made. Well, we should reiterate that. No decisions have been made. And I was like, what is going on? We've done nothing wrong. I don't even know what you're talking about. What the hell are you talking about? Then they put a photo to me and say, well, lucky you're here because we've got this photo of you. So And he's been stalking on... This is long before Facebook. This is another platform called Bebo. And it's on my profile, which I don't even have anymore. i closed it down. So he must have used some, like, web archive nice. kind of tool or something. Or someone has kept that photo themselves and handed it in when they've DOMed. And it was a photo of myself, my brother, and our best friend at the time. Uh, and we did this thing with these girls where we dressed up in their clothes, they dressed up in ours, and we did this catwalk, and whoever did yeah. it best... We we're on the piss and, Just a mistake, yeah. We were absolutely hammered. And they bring this photo out and they go, This is disgraceful. And so we have these long back and forths and trying to reason with them and say, look, it's it's almost a mistake, mate. Because in that religion you get married only when you're baptized in it, and you don't get married to so you're not in it, and I'm in it, and if you're a girl, I wouldn't be allowed to marry you. And so that was part of the problem. Was one of the problems was and this is what we were saying to him, we were saying, you know, other people in our family have got married and they haven't been um, baptised, they're not in it. We waited until we were, we did the right thing because we were good Christians, quote-unquote. Mm. And we want to get married in the kingdom all and we want to do the right thing. And this guy was just a dick. And got into this sort of like ideological sort of dick measuring contest, really. And he then said to me, what would people, and they say this, in the world, so everyone who's not a Jewish witness, they would say, what would people in the world think? And I said... I don't know, I can't speak for people in the world. I know what my dad would think, he would think it's insane that you would um, cancel, like, that you're thinking about cancelling a wedding. And then I walked out and I literally never went, I went back to another three or four meetings in my entire life after that. And I stopped going after that because I was really out of pride, it was nothing other than pride. Like I was egotistical and prideful and, I was like, who are these people to tell me that... You didn't want to take a step back. Yeah, and I was like, this is ridiculous. we have done nothing wrong. Mm. And we ended up getting the situation rectified. We had to, like, appeal all the way to the headquarters in Sydney. We were having phone calls at midnight. Yeah, mate. Sydney. Yep. And so it got finally overturned. We were allowed to have it, and the wedding went ahead. But it was a really difficult time. Like, the wedding wasn't approved until Thursday night at, like, 10.30. So we're still two days out, no venue, like... It was really tough and like it really made the event unenjoyable, to be fair. You do lose all your friends, so all your friends since childhood are gone. And because you're not allowed to be friends with people who aren't in the religion, all of your school friends are long gone. Like, because yeah, you were never really you close with friends them. with them, no. no. So, like, if you had left at like 19 or something like that, you probably sort of reconnected you with those friends. You could pick yeah. it up and go, Oh, it's only six months, 12 months. Yeah. But 26 is too long. And, like, I mean, I could have tried, but they're all moved on and different cities and different lives. And so you sort of got to make your own new friends and you got to start again. Like, my brother, who is my best mate, we grew up very close because dad left and we lived with mum, who was like physically and emotionally abusive to us as children, very physically abusive. And so we relied on each other a lot. We were really close, really close. And so when you don't talk to him often, you go from. We went from like seeing Alex like three, four, five times a week, every night he'd be over for dinner at our house when
0: we were really married and stuff like that, to we see him once or twice a year, like if that. And, and, and is that is that as a result of him still being a part of this religion? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So we went to Nando's one day and it's honestly, it's the hardest conversation because he's your brother and he's your best friend and he said to me, dude, I think if you're, oh, long story short, if you're not going to be a witness... Um, we're gonna to have to like cut or limit our association with you, and I was like, I'm that, mate. Like, I get it because I was in it, so I know exactly how their yeah. mind works. But uh, you're sort of a treading this fine line between wanting to scream at him and go, "You don't understand what you are doing," like it's,
0: you have no clue. Need to be so careful what you say yeah. because puts in- that wall up straight away. Then
1: I look at my brother, mate. He could have played any sport he wanted professionally. He could play AFL, tennis. Uh, any of the rugby codes yeah. or soccer no joke professionally and never pursued any of them because you're a James Witness you can't play competitive sport like yeah. wasted talent mate and I coach at a high level I coach athletes that play uh, representative football I have and I'm telling you he is as good if not better than all of them he'd have represented his state if not country in any sport yeah. and I look at his little boy now yes. who's an absolute physical specimen is
0: a beast and it'll be another wasted life oh, and it's just sad to think that you can't I guess live yeah. your own way of life and, and give things a go where you kind of know yeah. that you might be potentially good at yeah and, and along the lines of, of not having a general understanding of, of this brainwashing yeah I mean for for another example for, for listeners uh, for viewers listening in it, it might be a little bit something more they can kind of relate to yeah uh, in terms of maybe someone who's an alcoholic right yeah they won't admit it no some some of the time they actually don't even know they're an alcoholic yeah until until you know it could be three or four weeks down the track where they've gone you know three or four weeks dry yeah and then they hit that point of realization they go holy shit like i was i was really drinking you know seven or eight beers a night or whatever it may be yeah because he hasn't had that point of realization or that circuit breaker moment, yeah. like you're saying, yeah, he's stuck in this this bubble and this it can't be popped. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't know what the outside world of this bubble looks like. Absolutely, and
1: if you don't have that moment, you you can't possibly sort of find your way out. I actually had a mate, a uh, Ringley recently. I grew up with him, and he got out, and. His friends have all cut him and he's really struggling. He was, I was 26, so that's old. He's 35, like, which is even that's older again. General. That's try, hard.
0: Like, try to, try to like, you know, ref, like, it's, it's a refresher. you got to start laughing and try to meet new people. Well, but how, this is the other How part. do you do it? How do you even meet new
1: people? Because I, when I left when I was 26, I didn't know how to make friends. Because you go to school and you're in a captured, closed environment where you're forced to be friends with someone in that environment. When you're Jehovah's Witness, you are forced to be friends with the people in that environment. So when you leave, you don't really have the skills to make friends because you've never had to actually know who you are, know what you're like in others, know how to sort of navigate that and actually form a bond or anything like that because the bonds you form are only conditional. It's only because you're in it together. Same as when you're at school. Sometimes you're friends with them, sometimes you're not. And it's because you're in that...
0: Sort of barrel, so to speak. Yeah. well, And, and yeah. along the along the lines of isolation and, and trying yeah. to start up fresh and and try to figure out how to make friends and whatnot. For those who may be going through similar experiences, whether it be through a cold or just yeah. um, day to day life, yeah, they don't they're not following a particular trend that, that people deem to be um, acceptable or yeah. or a particular policy um, yeah. within today's society. If people are trying to challenge it because they want to stand up and be who they are, yeah and they feel isolated for doing so, Yeah. what would be the steps that you would put in place to to get you over that line? Isolated.
1: Um, I guess for me, like if I was to talk to a Jehovah's Witness now, I would... Uh, and I'm just using them as an example. Of course. Maybe try and understand that you're not isolated, actually. Yeah. The world is a lot bigger and better than what you are led to believe. And mm. that's probably the first thing I would do. I don't really know... Because, like, I mean... I, I know the first thing I would do was find support groups that were of a like mind to me and shared interests. So, whatever that is, quilting or I don't know rugby, whatever. I find those support groups, and that's how I've made my friends. Like in my sort of later years, is I'm not that old, but is to go. I, I coach a rugby club, and you actually then make mates through there because I've yeah. got shared interest with you. So I think it's to find something that you have that shared interest in. The hard part is you don't want to fall back into another, and a lot of people do. A lot, a lot of people leave wrong. and <laughs> fall back into another really heavily programmed. Because I've got to be honest with you, the, new the one part of it that was good is you are in this perpetual state of naivety. So the world's going to end in like five minutes, all the time. That's what you're told. Armageddon is coming now. And if you're not good, God's going to punish you. You're not going to make it into the new system. You're going to burn in hell, sort of thing. I don't believe in hell, but you get the picture. And... So when you're out and you realise that's not actually true, then you realise you've got to actually be a real adult and like a real person. And Armageddon is not coming tomorrow. I could live for 70 years more and what am I going to do? I've got no skills, I've got no... And so you've got to sort of... But I do think for people who are either leaving that sort of an organisation or who are finding themselves ostracised in society, just find people who share similar interests with you. But yeah, so like I mean, it is really hard. Like I I had that guy message me and he was out um, or he's leaving and I think he's really struggling and I I don't think he... The hard part when I say find something that you're interested in is if you're never given any time because you're at Bible study and church all the time to figure out who you are, then you don't really necessarily know what you like Mm. and what you don't like. And so for him now at 35, he's trying to work it out and it's proving quite hard. Um, and I know he's really struggling, which is quite difficult. But, like, I mean, again, he had a circuit breaker and did the same thing as me. He cried a lot, vomited a lot, talked to me on the phone a few times, cried. And when he reached out to me, that was actually one of the hardest conversations I've had, he reached out to me and asked me, why don't you go? And I asked him why, and he sort of alluded to what he was going through. Mm. And I actually said to him, I said, oh, I'll give you a heads up. It's the best thing we ever did, but it's also the hardest thing you ever did. Like, you have every support network you have, every friend, every family member ripped away from you. So, so you gotta be prepared to do that, mate. Like, and he goes, I need it for my own mental health. I can't be in this anymore. And I was like, right. If you wanna know, you can know. And so we sort of went through some stuff together and yeah, uh, more power to him, but
0: circuit breaker. Fascinating. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, i can come to it, mate. It's Next Level, mate. Mate, thank you. Oh, good That It's Next Level has been, fascinating story i mean what you've been through and you've you've come out i mean you've come out pretty good and it's uh yeah it's a process but um you're better for it i think you're better for it from having gone through that adversity yeah and i think you probably yeah no essentially because essentially what what i'm gaining out of this in summary is that you might be going through something where you all your belief systems are, are you know that's all you. That's all you know, for, because yeah, they're the belief systems you've been brought up with, to, you know, through your family life or yeah, just growing up as a child. You've got to have that circuit breaker moment of realization to understand the the other perspective. Yeah, because there's always another perspective. Absolutely. You, you know, you look at someone who might be going a hard time and he's a drug addict, and then then for me for me to look at someone doing that, I could be like, you know, look at him. He's a he's a drug addict. He's, Yeah. He's someone who lives on the street. He, he's a nobody. Yeah. There's a reason why he's, he's in that state of mind. There's not, there's not, not a perspective. Yeah, definitely. And it's just a matter of actually allowing yourself to open up and to see the other perspective.